Welcome to the Hyper Voice. I am your host, Stephen Morioka, and I am joined today by Alexander Hill. Hello there. And our guest for today, Dane Zeman. Dane, did I pronounce your name right? That is correct. It's Dane Zeman. All right. Dane, how are you feeling? Oh, I'm feeling pretty good. Still riding the post-Worlds high, I guess. How about you? I'm, I'm feeling pretty well. Uh, so you mentioned post-Worlds high there. People probably should know this already, but um, you had a pretty big, big accomplishment. You want to tell us about that? Well, yes. Um, I was able to go from my day one invite and make it into the top cut of 24 people, which was a pretty good accomplishment for me, considering this is my first full year of VGC. Right. And first Worlds too, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. Obviously, I guess that had to make sense. Yeah, I played half the year and had a chance to make it last year, but did not quite make it. Nice. Well, um, I guess what we're going to do today is we're pretty. this is pretty much a world's review uh, of the 2016 World Championships. We're just going to talk about a bunch of different stuff that happened there. But um, so both of you guys made day two. Dane obviously made it into the top cut bracket. Do you guys have any lasting impressions from the event? You know, a couple like, what is it, 10 days now since it ended or something? Yeah, it's actually been such a short amount of time since Worlds happened. I feel like it was forever ago, but it's actually been just over a week. And I feel like my lasting impression was that it was really fun to just get to play such high-level uh, VGC over the course of one weekend. And getting to play so much of it, because since I made it to the second day, was just really enjoyable because that was kind of like the peak of the season and from here we're just going to kind of ride it out until 2017 starts yeah i definitely thought it was an amazing experience just to encounter all these people from far away that you may have in interacted with online but never met in person and it was good to play some of those matches against the players you may not play very often in, in the worlds and the higher level of competition was very nice because normally at regionals you'll have like one or two rounds where you're playing against an in-game team or someone doesn't really know what they're doing. Whereas at Worlds, every first from the first round onward, you're playing against a quality opponent and it's just a lot of good matches in a row. Yes, I'd have to agree with both of you there on just you know the entire experience playing. Um, you know, everyone from around the world, it's a rare opportunity. It only really only happens, I guess, once a year for most people. But yeah, the uh, world was a great event. How about, uh, are there any highlights you guys can remember from the top cut part at least, or maybe at least from the whole event, like any matches you played, any matches you saw on the TVs or streams or anything? In the top cut, I really remembered, um, Edu's match against um, Barris in top eight. I thought that it was a. From game one, he started a. That's kind of one of those information wins he had with Substitute Groudon and Mental Her Bronzong. And then it was nice to see someone be able to win a game like that where they kind of pulled all the tricks in game one and then still managed to come out on top in the set once their tricks have been revealed. I always kind of like seeing those type of wins. Something uh, funny and similar to that was uh, something that happened to me. I played against uh, David, Awesome Platypus, on one of the side TVs. And in game one, he got me really hard with all these gimmicky strategies. And I thought it was like, really crazy how much he had packed into his team that would throw people off guard. And so in game two, I didn't expect any more. And then he actually had more to throw me off. And that was just... It was crazy, but it was unfortunate to be on the other side of it. But I think from a spectator perspective, it was just probably really cool to see such a dominant game with so many crazy moves every single turn. And Dane, I believe you played David later in the tournament, didn't you? Yeah, I did. And I got some unfortunate good luck for him, at least. And the set was kind of over before it started because of Xerneas being ridiculous with its Moonblast critical hits and special attack drops. <laughs> Oh yeah, as if it didn't need any more help. Yeah, Moonblast is too good of a move. <laughs> and I believe that was uh, the final round. Wasn't that your contention match? Yep, that was my win-or-go-home match. So on my end, it was nice to kind of get a gift win to put me into top cut, but I'm sure it was very unfortunate for David to have to go out of worlds like that. Though in my defense, it isn't as if I played poorly. It's just that the game really 
ended before it could be like any plays could be made before he could make a play to put the game in his favor or before I could make one to put my it in my own. Yeah, sometimes you see games like that where it's not won one way or another and then there's just like this huge instance of luck that wins it for one person and you can't be too sour about it because like you it maybe like in that person's situation who had the poor luck happen to them, uh they didn't have the game won yet. It was still a game to be played, but uh it's unfortunate to see him end it sometime like that uh just sooner than it was over but you're gonna have games like that playing so much pokemon in a single weekend we don't use 100 percent accurate moves there's critical hits on every attack stuff like that's bound to happen yeah it's just part of the game we play yeah i mean and you were also saying how you were playing pretty well against him too and if he just kept getting unlucky you know the best thing for him to do is to just accept accept the loss like there's really not not much else he could have done and that will allow him to grow and move on. Yeah, it's one of those games where neither player really made any big plays and the game just decided who won. <laughs> All right, Steven, well, how about you? What were some of the matches you enjoyed seeing? Oh, right, yeah, I forgot to mention that. Um, I want to say the uh, it was really odd seeing Marcus and Wolf play that mirror and how Wolf, you know, he pretty much dominated that one. So I thought that was pretty cool as a highlight. Like I'm pretty sure they didn't expect to be uh, having to play play each other either. So I thought that was interesting. And then there was the one. Uh, it was also another contention match for the play in two top cut. And I think it was a uh, Billa. So Barris Echos versus uh, James Bay. Is that right? That's right. I'm not quite sure. Yeah. Yeah, okay. that's right. That was the last round of Swiss in day two. Well, he they were on stream and. I think uh, Billa pulled a twice in two turns in a row a reverse trick room. So James was trying to set it up, and then Billa reversed it twice, making that call. So that was just amazing play by him, and you know he deserved the finish he got. Yeah, that's a really cool, crazy rock paper scissors kind of play. Like, is he gonna do it? Is he not gonna do it? And calling it twice in a row is just very unlikely. It's hard to get that deep inside your opponent's mind and just knowing exactly which one they're going to do because those plays sometimes can be do or die in a format like this. Yeah, it's such a dangerous play. You know, it, it worked out for him. He made the call, and that's going to win you games. Uh, but I also think it was interesting that you mentioned the uh, mirror set between Wolf and Marcus, and it was just strange to see how prepared, at least it seemed, that Wolf was and how he won that pretty convincingly. Uh, you know, like, when you build a team with uh, another person that you're going to an event with, uh, you don't normally expect to play each other, or at least like you don't try to plan out that matchup because you uh, are trying to play against the teams that you expect to see. And with a team like that, you don't expect to see something else like that. So it was surprising to see that he was so prepared. Yeah, I think that might come with the territory of them, but both being top players that can legitimately expect to win the event. I know if I was a top four player in the world you know and you're expecting to win the event and you know what one of the other players who's also in the top echelon of players is going to be using i'd i'd probably think through that matchup a little bit myself actually now that you mention it uh who played first i believe wolf played his match first before marcus did is that correct i can't remember which match you're talking about i'm talking about when wolf beat justin karras and then Marcus played against, I believe, Aaron Trailer. So, yeah. uh, based on that, I'm pretty sure Wolf would have had a bit more time to think it through, you know, kind of sit down and be like, all right, well, now I'm playing either Aaron or Marcus. And so he kind of had time to think through both those matchups. And that might have been just enough time to give him the edge, whereas Marcus had less time to think and had to get back to playing sooner. Yeah, that could have definitely played a part, too. Yeah, I actually can't recall the sequence, whether they were playing simultaneously or they were. Wolf went first, and then Marcus second, and then, you know, like you are saying, Wolf had more time. But I don't remember. But speaking, you know, speaking of top players in the world, the Masters division this year in the video game had a top cut of 24 people. So that gave, you know, the top eight seeds uh, buys into the round of 16. And, you know, Dane, you won that final match to make it into the bracket. Um... Tell us about your thoughts going into it, and who you, who did you end up playing? Well, my thoughts going into it was, first, I was just ecstatic to have made it into Top Cut. I was already pretty excited to make Day 2, because I thought 
if I played how I'm capable of playing day one that I should be able to make it to day two. You can obviously never expect to make to have success like that just due to the luck factor of Pokemon, but I, I knew I was capable of making day two. But Top Cut, on the other hand, that was a little shakier just because you know in day two you're going to be playing all these players who played so well throughout the year and have their invite already and have just been winning nationals and regionals and whatever else they had to do to get that many points. So going into day two was a little bit intimidating, but at the same time, me being a bit of an underdog, I felt like I had less to lose. So you're just kind of going out there, playing each game as they come, going against whoever you're sitting across from and just playing playing the matchup. So as far as it goes in my top cut match, I saw that I was going to be playing Blake Hopper, who had gotten top 16 at the past two world championships so that's a bit intimidating player matchup wise you know you're playing up against a great player great pencil flipper as well um <laughs> and but i had no i knew what he was running rayquaza groudon with cresselia and i know that's a pretty good matchup for my team so on the one hand i was feeling pretty bad because i felt like you never want you never can feel good going against a player as good as blake but on the other hand i felt pretty good because i thought that my team had a good way of dealing with his team But going into the game, it's just Blake will play in so well. I guess that kind of, it comes with the territory when you know you have a bad matchup. You kind of go for all these reads and try to make all these great plays, and it really worked out for him. You got to tip my hat to Blake for playing so well in that top 24 set. Yeah, and speaking of your team, um, you recently published a team report on Nugget Bridge, and do you want to just... Quickly do an overview of, I guess, that report. Uh, you know, I like the title, so I'd love for you to say that. Um, <laughs> and just tell us about your team and, you know, kind of a quick summary of it. Sure. Well, the title of the report was Shakirados Used Dragon Dance, a top 17 day two worlds and top world's top 24 report. Um, clearly, the top 17 is just a cherry picking the number I finished and putting that as the lowest number just to kind of be silly yeah. with my title. But as far as the actual team goes, my team consisted of Shiny Gyarados, which was Mega Gyarados, Talonflame, Raichu, Rayquaza, Xerneas, and Amoongus. And um, I guess the main idea with this team was that I really liked the Xerneas-Rayquaza core. I thought that it it kind of, Rayquaza can kind of check similar things to Groudon, though not as well, because it has access to fire moves like Overheat, so it can still deal with steel types like Mawile and Ferrothorn, like Groudon can, though it has to be a little more careful. But it has the, the big advantage of not losing to opposing Groudon, so that was one of the main reasons I liked it. Another reason I liked it is that with the prevalence of special Groudons and Kyogres, you can switch in your Rayquaza to protect your Xerneas from those attacks, especially if they're running a super fast Groudon with Eruption. And a lot of times those people will just expect to out outspeed your Xerneas and get off a big Eruption on it. Whereas if you have Rayquaza, you can switch in your Rayquaza and instead of taking 85% with your Xerneas, you only take 50 So that's really helps aid set up for your Xerneas. Um, as far as the supporting members go, I guess the most eccentric Pokemon is the Mega Gyarados, and I chose Mega Gyarados because I really like having a water type on Rayquaza teams just to put a lot of pressure on Groudon, and additionally Gyarados provides intimidate support for my team, which helps Rayquaza stay around a bit longer and helps Xerneas get its Geomancies off. But the main reason I went with Mega Gyarados was because of the prevalence of psychic types like Cresselia and Bronzong that would set up Trick Room. And when you have a Rayquaza Xerneas team, there's not the downside of that compared to a Rayquaza or a Xerneas Groudon or Xerneas Kyogre team is that the Xerneas Kyogre or Xerneas Groudon teams, they could have a Trick Room mode with a slow Groudon or slow Kyogre. Whereas with Rayquaza and Xerneas, you're pretty much locked into your fast mode. You're not going to have a Trick Room Rayquaza or a Trick Room Xerneas. So you kind of have to have some ways to either stop your opponents from setting up Trick Room or to deal with them once they have Trick Room up. So I guess that's kind of one of the reasons there's an Amoongus on my team, but we'll get to that later. As for Gyarados with its Megastone, if you, Crunch can do, does about 80% to Bronzong's unboosted, but I have a couple of ways of boosting my 
uh, Gyarados to make that into a one-hit KO. I can either get off a Dragon Dance with it, or I can use Helping Hand with my Raichu. And that just really helps stop, especially double primal teams, from setting up Trick Room. And a lot of times, especially with those double primal teams, if you can get a surprise KO on one of their one of their teammates, then it just puts them in such a disadvantage, because if you're playing 3-on-4 with double primal, you really can't switch in at all, because you're going to either lock in your Groudon in the rain against Gyarados, who will just outspeed and one-hit KO it, or you'll lock in your Kyogre in the sun, and then it can only Ice Beam, and that's going to do 20% to Azernius that's got a Geomancy up. So I, I really valued that ability that Gyarados could provide, or Mega Gyarados, to get rid of those Psychic types. And it just puts a lot of pressure on Groudons in general, because if you have your Gyarados in, you can always threaten the switch in Rayquaza and go for a Waterfall play, which even if you don't, you don't ever actually have to go for it until the late game, you can, but your opponent has to keep that in mind. They can't just leave their Groudon in for five consecutive turns and just attack with it like you may if you didn't have a Rayquaza that you could switch in there. Um, so that's... Did you ever take advantage of the Moldbreaker ability? I did not. Um, the only things that my Gyarados could take advantage for that would be either avoiding something like multi-scale, which isn't run in this meta, or you could avoid a Gastrodon Storm Drain, perhaps, because I don't have a move like Earthquake that would nullify an ability like that. So yeah, well, I guess there aren't too many abilities to, for it to ignore this year. Maybe Sturdy, but I'm not even sure if we see that many Sturdy Pokemon. Yeah, it it does. The one thing that it can get is those pesky soak Shedinjas on showdown tournaments because you can hit them through their Wonder Guard ability, which is hilarious. But that's always that, good. I didn't run into any of those at Worlds. So I mean, you just didn't play John Who. <laughs> yeah, soak. that's true. He had regular Shedinja, yeah. But I mean, the regular yeah, he, you can use you can just crunch the regular in your regular form. You can just use crunch with the Gyarados because that's super effective against Shedinja. Yes. Yes. So, um, yeah, that's the main idea with Gyarados, just the water type with Intimidate that also has optional dark coverage, which is nice because some games you'll want to bring your your Rayquaz or your, your Gyarados, but you don't want it to be weak to those fairy type moves. Or even you might want to keep the flying typing because you don't want to be weak to power whips from Ferrothorn, for instance. So some games I would bring both Rayquaza and Gyarados, and going into the into the match, I wouldn't know which one I was going to Mega, because my opponent, for instance, could have Cresselia and Whimsicott. If they brought Whimsicott, I would not want to Mega my Gyarados, but if they brought Cresselia, I would certainly want to Mega it. So I could kind of decide mid-game. Or sometimes I want to have Weather Control with Rayquaza, and he'll be at low HP, but if they're down to two Pokemon, I can just Mega my Rayquaza to eliminate the Sun forever. And then they can't just eliminate the Rayquaza to protect their Groudon. So that not, that option of bringing both your Megas and choosing mid-game which one to Mega Evolve, I haven't seen that on any other archetypes. Like, you'll see a Kangaskhan Rayquaza team, but if they bring Kangaskhan, they're not going to Mega their Rayquaza. Or if they have Salamence Kangaskhan, I mean, you'll have some rare times when they'll bring both Megas and then sacrifice one to set up Tailwind or sacrifice one to Fake Out, but it's not very common. So it seems like you really use your Rayquaza to just keep control of the weather and just to keep Groudon in check uh, thanks to the Gyarados' help. Yes, and also the Rayquaza was a very good late game sleeper or sweeper, and it also um, had overheat to deal with steel types that Xerneas could not. But yeah, Rayquaza, I wasn't a lot of people will read, have like the Swords Dance variant or just a Life Orb variant where their Rayquaza can just do huge damage to the rest of the team. Whereas my Rayquaza is a less offensive Assault Vest version, which still does a lot of damage, but it's not going to threaten a one-hit KO on Kangaskhan's or Xerneas's. It's going to... you get you got to get some chip damage on them first. But luckily with Rayquaza's speed and good coverage, you can bring it in in the late game after you've chipped away at your opponent with Xerneas, Talonflame, and Gyarados, and you can use gear, use the Rayquaza to clean up from there. But yeah, the Rayquaza was, it was more supportive than a lot of Rayquazas you'll see. It took a lot of advantage of the airlock ability. Um, going on for the rest of my team, the Talonflame, pretty standard Talonflame, it uses Brave Bird on things, sets up Priority Tailwind. The one trick I did have on my Talonflame was I had Swords Dance as my tech move, so it's Brave Bird, Flare Blitz, Swords Dance, Tailwind. Um, I thought this was 
a decent option with um, the Raichu and Amoongus support, since not many things run Rock Slide anymore. And plus two Brave Bird does it can it goes Kangaskhan, it can KO some Zerns. Uh, helping Hand, it can KO Groudons, which is always cool. Um, That's ridiculous power. That is ridiculous. I actually did one hit KO a Groudon with my Talonflame in day one. That was a pretty pretty fun moment. It's always fun when you can pull those off. I think it also can KO Cresselia at plus two with Helping Hand. So it's did just a holy it? smokes. Yeah, uh, it's kind of. Did you expect it? Did you expect it to one shot it? Yes, it gu- it's a guaranteed one shot on two fifty two HP for defense. On 252 HP? Yeah, 252 HP, 4 defense. It's guaranteed with Helping Hand, plus 2 Raybird. And Life Orb, right? Life Orb, correct. And Adamant. Did your opponent know it would KO? No. He, didn't, <laughs> he had no way of knowing. <laughs> so that was that was a pretty fun moment in the tournament for me. But yeah, that Talonflame, um, mainly just for either you could bring it in next to your Xerneas when it's got a Geomancy up and set up a Sword Stance while everyone's your opponents, like if they've got a Grout on the on the field, even if they have Rock Slide, if you've got a Xerneas up there with a Geomancy, they can't Rock Slide and let your Xerneas live, so they'll have to target down that Xerneas. But then you're, they got rid of one boosted Pokemon, and there's another one, and then it's just kind of they just can't deal with that much offense. In practice, though, I didn't use Swords Dance as much in this tournament, but I definitely appreciated the Talon Flame to deal with um, things like Gengar that are just annoying to my team and faster than everything on my team. Um, moving on to my more support Pokemon, I had um, the Raichu was a Focus Sash variant with Fake Out, Volt Tackle, Encore, and Helping Hand. Um, the Helping Hand was very helpful because uh, a lot of times my team is very offensive and it, as such it can struggle with some speed control. But with Helping Hand, Helping Hand Moonblast after a Geomancy will one-hit KO Crest. Helping Hand, Crunch from Mega Gyarados, KOs Bronzong, plus one Helping Hand, Crunch from Gyarados, KOs Cresselia. So it's it does a good job of, if I if I don't want to lead like that, just lead Fake Out plus support into a Trick Room mode, but if I find myself in that situation, I'm not dead in the water. I can set up and then you can turn one Fake Out the Crest and set up and then eliminate the Trick Room setter. Um, though... That's not. I, there's other other ways of dealing with Trick Room, but that's just having options is always good. Um, it seems like you made the right choice bringing an electric rodent, electric rodent to the World Championships. Yes, electric rodents were good. Raichu was very good this year, and then obviously there's the Pachirisu back in 2014 that everyone knows. We'll have to see how that one thing does in the future. That electric steel type that came out that's yeah. Iron Barbs is the ability. I don't quite remember the name, but we'll have to see if that thing dominates the 2017 season. Yeah, either that or Alola Raichu. Oh my goodness, I forgot about that, that too. too. Yeah, they, <laughs> we got a lot of options for our electric rodent in Worlds 2017. Um, going back to the Raichu, um, the reason I had Encore on the team mainly was so that my team could deal... If I relied Raichu Xerneas into Kangaskhan Xerneas, if you don't have Encore on your Raichu, then turn one, you just fake, turn, you'll trade fake outs, and then turn two, your Xerneases will both Geomancy, but they'll get a double edge off on your, your Xerneas, and you'll get a Volt Tackle off on theirs. So the damage output trade is not worth it. So you need to have the Encore threat to get rid of those Kangaskhan so they can't double edge your Xerneas. You have to force them to switch out. And um, that was the main reason I had Encore. And then Volt Tackle on the Sash set. Some people think that's a little counterintuitive because you'll break your own Sash. But in practice, I very rarely would Volt Tackle at full HP. A lot of times I would Volt Tackle when I'm down to my Focus Sash and sacrifice the Raichu to get a free switch into something like Talonflame or Rayquaza, which is especially useful against some of those cheesy red card teams because you can get your... They'll bring their Xerneas, you'll bring yours, and they'll get rid of my support Pokemon and bring in their red card Pokemon, but then I can just attack their red card Pokemon with a priority attack and have my Xerneas get to stay in on their red card Talonflame or Amoongus or Ferrothorn or whatever thing they decided to put their red card card on. Um, And then, yeah, that's pretty much all for Raichu. Standard EVs on that, just the four, I think four defense, 252 attack, 252 speed was the spread I ended up using. And then Amoongus was there for redirection support. It was there also as a check for Trick Room. So obviously Amoongus slows 
gets off those slow spores to put your opponent to sleep if they decide to set up Trick Room. And for the item of my Amoongus, I chose to go with the Lumberry just so that I could beat Lumberry uh, Gravity Hypnosis Bronzong, which otherwise would give a lot of trouble to this team. Whereas with that Amoongus, I can just keep continuously sporing their Groudon when they have it in under gravity, and even if they get a Hypnosis off on my Amoongus, it will stay awake and put their Groudon to sleep and stall out Trick Room for whatever I have in back to deal with it. Um, and I also chose Clear Smog over Grass Knot for my attack. It was kind of a 50-50. I missed Grass Knot in some matchups, but I really appreciated Clear Smog in others, so... In retrospect, I probably would have gone with Grass Knot because there was a lot of Kyogre that did well at Day 2 of Worlds, whereas I was expecting more Xerneas to do well. But you can't win them all, I guess, and Amoongus was still valuable even with without having Grass Knot. Yeah, you can't win them all or any of them. No. But yeah, obviously well-designed team by you. Obviously well-played getting you into the top 24 at Worlds. You know, that's that's an accomplishment, and no one's going to forget about that. Yeah, you you've made your mark on history. Yep, it was a good experience and I'm really glad that I got to have that experience. I'm glad I got the any luck that I needed in the games as well as in whatever team matchups I didn't play any terrible matchups for my team. So it's always nice to just have one tournament where most of it comes together and you end up doing pretty well. So yeah, you represented the US in the top cut and I believe half of the cut was actually made up of USA players, but what about the rest of the cut? Steven, do you want to break that down? Sure, I can go over that. So Dane was one of the 12 uh, USA players, like you just mentioned. The rest of it was, uh, there are five Germans, two from Great Britain, and then one each from Argentina, Australia, Hong Kong, Portugal, and South Korea. So pretty diverse cut, but there is a country missing. Yep, Japan. Where's Japan in there? Oh, wait, didn't Conan cut? <laughs> He's part of the U.S., man. We all know this. I know, I know. But sometimes... I know, that joke's getting old. That joke's <laughs> getting old, I think. Yeah, but it's just fun to mess around with it. But yeah, that's really interesting, because last year we had Japan dominate the top eight cut, whereas this year it's very U.S. heavy, and yeah, completely missing a member from the Japan. From the Japan. So two questions for you guys. Is the U.S., you know, representing half of the cut, representing more skill or just, you know, the fact that the location was in our country and easy for everyone to access? And the other question is, what happened to Japan? So you guys can tackle it in either, either order. Well, the obvious answer to question one is, I didn't the U.S. have the most invites out of any country? Probably. So I'd imagine so, and that's probably what gave them such a good shot at making it. But you do bring up a good point that being in the U.S., it gives the USA players the easiest chance at getting to the event. But I think the largest factor is them uh, having the most invites, the U.S. Yeah, I think another factor is that um, for the reason Japanese players wouldn't be in there as much is just um, they took down the battle spot, which... Japanese players don't have a Pokemon Showdown equivalent in Japanese, so they couldn't, they don't have as much access to, or as easy access to a way to practice once Battle Spot removed the special battle system. And I just, I don't know for sure if this is accurate, but I heard that the Japanese participation in this format was not as high as previous years. And I know on Battle Spot, I always had harder time matching up with people this year, whereas last year, I would match up with people a lot quicker and I would never play the same person twice in like the same sitting whereas that would happen pretty frequently this year on the special battle spot ladder. That's a good point. Yeah, that happened to me a lot too and I think it's definitely because there's less Japanese players because those are the ones you normally see on the top of the online ladders. They practice a lot and they play well especially in that best of one setting. So I think that's a good point that uh, Japan might just not have been as involved in this format this year. Yeah, to, to add to that point is that Battle Spot being removed did affect everyone around the world too. You know, it just happened to maybe affect them a bit more because that's their primary uh, online medium for practice. And another thing is it, it isn't helping when one of your day two players doesn't even play. Yeah, especially when Japan, they had a, a 
a much higher number of day two players compared to day one players. Whereas the U.S. we had like eight day two players and a couple hundred day one players. Japan was like, I think they were like 20 day two and then like 20 day one or something. Something on that order of magnitude. Maybe it was 10 and 30, but it wasn't a very big disparity between the number of day two people they had and day one people. So the tournament, their their own qualifying structure kind of hurt them this year where they gave out so many more invites, though just that they only had whatever 50 come. It's obviously a factor. Another thing that's interesting to note is the teams that did very well at Japan Nationals, the last tournament they had of the season, uh, weren't so popular at the World Championships. Those teams seem to be heavily prepared for, and as we saw in the top cut, those teams were definitely lacking. Yeah, that's definitely a good point. I feel like when I was team building, I I had used the big C team of Cresselia, Kangaskhan, Salamence, Xerneas, Groudon, and Smeargle for U.S. Nationals, but I did not think that would be the right choice to bring to Worlds just because every single player in that room is going to have a specific game plan charted out for whatever you could lead with that team, how their team's going to deal with it, and your team, you'll probably this will probably might be the first time you've ever seen a team like theirs. So it's kind of like they're playing you for the hundredth time while you're playing them for the first. And I think that when you have a team format that's so dominant, it's just hard. Everyone's going to prepare for it. So to do well with it, you have to either have some hidden tech on it or you have to just play it so well. And I know that it, it might sound weird because in 2015 we had all of those chalk teams make it in top cut but if you think back in the regional formats they were not dominated by chalk the way that the regionals this year were dominated by big six if you you're not going to see five regionals where six of the teams or only were all that same team whereas this year you'd see plenty of big six variants in any regional top cut really with the exception of select few so that that was kind of i feel like more just um a particular team that wasn't as prepared for. Like, people obviously knew that Kangaskhan and Landorus and Amoongus and Heatran, that those were all really good Pokemon, but... And then the other thing is they could have a lot more variance in their sets that year, because you could run Kangaskhans at different speeds with different amounts of bulk. You could run Substitute on your Heatran. You could run the Life Orb Heatran. And you could run your Landorus with Assault Vest or Choice Band or a lot of different things. Whereas this year, pretty much all the Kangaskhans on the Big Six teams are Jolly Max Speed. And then nowadays, the Xerneases are more bulky. And the the Groudons, they're either going to be really fast or really slow, depending on which support speed Pokemon they have. So there's just not as much variance. The main source of variance is is Smeargle with its Moody ability (laughs) and its ability to learn any move in the game. But people are so prepared for Smeargle because it's so obnoxious to deal with and you don't want to lose a tournament just because you played four Smeargles that were not what you prepared for. On the topic of Smeargle, I think uh, Smeargle, I kind of missed it in the top cut, honestly. It's funny to say that because, I mean, I was a spectator at least once we reached the cut, or but Smeargle is so funny to watch on stream in a big crowd setting because every at the end of every turn the whole crowd just like holds their breath watches moody and like a accuracy goes up and everyone screams and then like speed falls and trick room goes up and you're just like everyone's just like yelling and then like some people are chanting like moody moody and it's just it's such a fun factor when you're watching the event but when you're playing moody is so not fun yeah, definitely agree that it's yeah, it is really fun to watch as a spectator and it'll make some really good crowd reactions, but when you're play when you're sitting across the guy that's getting the evasiveness boost, then you're just shaking your head, maybe even crying. <laughs> while it was fun while it's fun to watch, I would agree with that. It was just so nice to not see it uh, past the semis. Not on, not only that, but if you look at Smeargles, I'm looking at the usage stats for Smeargles and the Smurgles, a term of how many were brought to day two. Um, about 54% of teams brought Smurgle to day two, but only 42% cut with Smurgle. So that's a pretty pretty big drop-off with regards to how many Smurgles were brought with how, versus how many got into cut. So I think that just really reflects, one, just the um, 
the polarizing effect of Smurgle, how it can either really win you games or really lose you them by missing Dark Void, for instance. But then also that people were just really prepared for it. Like you had Lumberry safeguard Bronzongs or Prankster safeguard users just to neutralize the threat of that Smurgle. Speaking of uh, usage percentages, um, the restricted cores, you know, the pairings of your two restricted Pokemon... Uh, Kind of interesting distribution in the top cut bracket and then what ended up winning too. So, um, Alex, do you want to break break this down? Go over it? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, 33% of the team, so one-third, 8 out of the 24 were Groudon and Xerneas. So they did have the majority, uh, despite what I said earlier, is that they were not as present in cut. They were still the majority, but we had a lot of other things. Like, we had four of those teams were Groudon and Kyogre. Four of them were Rayquaza Kyogre. And then four of them were like Dane with Xerneas and Rayquaza. And then from there, uh, we had two of them were Rayquaza and Groudon. And then just a single uh, instance of Groudon Eveltal and Kyogre Xerneas. So apart from apart from the cores, you just have the... Um, you know, that really just tells us, you know, the main... Uh, restricted Pokemon people are using. Obviously, the team composition is going to vary for all those teams, you know, mostly. But um, it really just shows, again, the dominance of these five uh, restricted Pokemon. Like we were mentioning, mentioning heading into Worlds. Yeah, it was silly of me to try even bringing Dialga when it's not one of the top five. You gotta have your legendary from either X and Y or Oras, otherwise you just don't stand a chance. Pairing those two is just such a strong combination. Pairing two of the five that we mentioned, Groudon, Kyogre, Rayquaza, Xerneas, or Eveltal. Just two of those five and you can't go wrong. Unless you pick Rayquaza, Eveltal, then you might have a bit of a hard time, but <laughs> we'll look into that. I think it's got potential. Yeah, and I think outside of just the top 24, the main thing that surprised me about usage in the top cut was when you got to the top 8, I was expecting there to be something like 6 Groudons in top 8. But yeah, it's interesting because, like you mentioned, there were you expected so many Groudons, but Kyogre actually won all three age divisions. I mentioned this in the last podcast, but it's still just an amazing fact that Groudon was so dominant all season having such like high usage stats, and then in the end, on all three age divisions, Groudon won one of them, but Kyogre won all of them. Yeah, that's an amazing feat. And what, Dane, what you were mentioning earlier, there were three Groudon in the top eight. Yeah, three Groudon and four Kyogre. So if you would have told me going in that there was going to be more Kyogres than Groudons in top eight, I would have thought you were crazy. Yeah, I probably would have said the same thing. And uh, just uh, correction, so no one... Um, Brings out the pitchforks against us. There were five Kyogre in top cut to the three Groudon. Were there five? Yeah. Oh, yeah. In, to- of the in top eight. Oh, yeah. You yep. have an overlap I've... of double primals. Yeah, I see. I missed one. Yeah, and then there was the one Xerneas. There was five, one. yeah, five Kyogres and three Groudons. It's crazy how Kyogre turned out to be dominant at the end of the season because I had been using it all season long and I was just like against using Groudon because I disliked playing the mirror. And then I bring Groudon to Worlds and sure enough, Kyogre is just showing up everywhere. Funnily enough, uh, speaking of like me using Kyogre, uh, Justin Karras actually made it into the top eight using a team that I had been using for a majority of the season and considered for Worlds. The uh, one He made it into the top cut, made it into the top eight with uh, Xerneas and Kyogre. And I was very close to bringing that to Worlds, but at the National Championships, I didn't even make it to the second day, and they posted it on Pokemon.com because I, I think it was probably because I had an Infernape, and Infernape's not a Pokemon you see so often. So they thought they would share that with people to get interest, and I just thought, well, I can't use this team anymore. It's on Pokemon.com, but Justin Karras went with it anyway. He wasn't known for using the team at the time, and he piloted it all the way up to the top eight. Alex, you should have followed your heart. You're right, Steven. I just, I gave up on myself, and look where it got me. Yeah, only only got you to day two. I think, I mean, I could have made the switch when I got to that second day, but I was like, uh, I mean, nobody had done well with that in the past. Everybody just needs to stick with their teams, and so I thought, you know, I was playing well the first day. I should be able to do well the second day, but not so much. Yeah, I don't think anybody that I know of changed their team between day one and day two. And further than that, a lot of players, like, they would run double primal all year or eveltal groudon all year and 
they brought those teams to day two of Worlds. So I guess this year people wanted to be a bit consistent with their day one versus day two. I actually uh, ran into one of my opponents. I was not playing him again, but I was sitting near him, and he told me that he totally switched from using, I believe, Double Primal to Rayquaza Kyogre. So uh, there was a couple of people who came from day one and switched their teams for day two, but from what I saw, or at least uh, from what I heard, I don't think anybody did that well making the change. Yeah, I can't imagine. It was like like you mentioned uh, a while ago, how gives you inconsistent practice in terms of you know what team you're actually using and you know you you're splitting your comfort level and your time devoted to each team you're playing with so that's probably why we saw a lot of people just bringing one team to worlds and sticking with it you know if they advance to day two it makes a lot of sense because if you didn't think your team was the the team that you brought to day one was the best shot you had to win then you probably shouldn't have brought it to day one because you might lose then. So if you thought your team was that good, good enough to bring to day one, then it's probably the best option for you day two, unless you're making some hard meta call looking at the 100 players in Worlds Day 2 and you think that they're going to use a specific archetype um, just in, in mass that you are you need to change teams for. I think it's if it was the best for day one, it's probably the best for day two as well. Like you mentioned, uh, you can't just expect to play any of those 100 players. It's just too big of a number, so you have to play to beat like basically the metagame at that point and just build a strong team that can cover it all versus trying to counter-team 100 players. That's just a huge feat. Yeah. But speaking of day one and day two, uh, we saw a different amount uh, between players from day one and d- players from day two make it into the top-cut bracket. We actually had... 14 players come from day one, make it into that top 24, and then 10 of them were from day two. So the majority actually goes to day one. More day one players were in the top cut bracket than in day two. What do you guys think about that? Well, think I'm thinking, speaking from my perspective, that playing day one definitely helped, especially with me using a team that I hadn't brought to a regional yet all year. Playing through day one was definitely a good confidence builder. And I bet there are some other people that would agree that going through day one, just the rigor of you don't get that many high-quality best of threes, especially all in one day, to kind of test out your team in day as you would in day one. Um, I don't know if that's as big of a factor for the more established players, but for me personally, playing day one was definitely helpful. I don't think I would have been able to do as well if I just got dropped into the fray on day two with nothing to go off of. Yeah, I thought it was, you know, an excellent way to, you know, test your team in real life, obviously, because you're playing at Worlds on day one, and you really just went through that grinder of a tournament to advance to day two, and your confidence is, you know, really at its peak, and the players on starting day two, they're, they're just coming off fresh into their first match that next day when you've just come off a day of, you know, obviously amazing play since you made it into the next day. And, you know, speaking speaking of the nitty-gritty numbers, 14 to 10, it may seem like day one is, you know, roughly, you know, it is more, you know, in terms of actual number, but uh, percentage-wise, it's roughly half and half. So I wonder if ultimately, do players really have to be that concerned with getting day two during the regular season? Is it that much of a deal? Well, I think the biggest part about getting day two is the paid trip, especially when you're going somewhere as expensive as San Francisco. And I don't think that going to day two is necessarily bad. I think that it just worked out that we had a lot of good players like Wolf Glick and Marcus Stanter who were playing through day one. So that kind of inflated it a bit, in my opinion, because there's no way that those players should be playing through day one if you're just going based off the caliber of players they are. They just had either unfortunate luck in national tournaments or to just forego the entire nationals to commentate. So that also yeah. played a bit of a role, I believe. And well, at least next year, they, did they are they going straight to day two because of their performance this year? I believe the top two go to day two, but I'm not, don't quote me on that. I think it's top four gets day gets the worlds and top two gets day two of worlds. But don't quote me on that. That's just what I've heard. But all the way up to the top eight, we did have a bit more of a majority in that case. Uh, The top eight consisted of six players from day one and just two from that day two. Oh, you're right. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, it's uh, it was Aaron Trailer and Barris were the only two to come from get a day two invite and then make it into that cut. Maybe make it in top eight. Yeah. 
but yeah, those top eight players, you know, six came from day one. It was, you know, obviously they had that great experience from playing in day one to uh, really just propel their teams to, you know, a really successful tournament run and uh, making it worlds is obviously great. And obviously everyone had very uh, interesting team compositions, um, you know, going down to EVs, movesets, whatever. And I kind of wanted to ask you guys is from the top cut or even just day two, are there any teams that really stick out to you um, in terms of the way a team was played, whether it was, you know, in the top cut or not? Um, just what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, one thing that I think is funny, and it's just a specific Pokemon, is I believe Bronzong was the most common Pokemon in the top cut above all else. Um, it was most common in top eight, yeah. Most time, it was yes, the. Yes, um, that's what I meant to say in the top eight. Yeah, fourth most common overall. In next in the top cut, and then most common in top eight. Yeah, it seems like people who had a way to just stop Xerneas and also just speed control, Bronzong was just that perfect Pokemon for that, and it just ended up leading a lot of players right to the top. Yeah, and the option of either having the threat of gravity hypnosis to both support your Groudon and give the threat of sleep putting your Pokemon to sleep under Trick Room, or to have Safeguard to counter other people's answers to Trick Room, which are normally Smurgle with low speed stat or Amoongus. So that those were just really good support options for Bronzong, and then dealing big damage as Ernius and being able to take two Moon Blasts is just something that you don't see in many Pokemon. I didn't count this, but do you guys think Bronzong, as if you exclude restricted Pokemon and Mega Pokemon, do you think Bronzong is probably the most used uh, overall? Um, it is behind Smurgle in day two usage, um, but. And in um, Cut, it is the most common non-Mega, non-restricted. Past the top 24? Yeah, in top 24 plus, it is the most common non-Mega, non-restricted. Gotcha. Yeah, some other Ushid stats that stuck out to me a little bit. Uh, There's a little less Salamence than I expected. There's only nine in top 24, whereas um, throughout the year, you'd normally see about half the teams in Cut with Salamence, though I guess it depended on your region, because I know in Europe they didn't have as much Salamence, whereas over here we had plenty of Salamence. Um, Hitmontop did a lot better than I was expecting. Um, that could just be because three players in top eight had Hitmontop and were using the same team and are also exceptional players. But it's interesting to note regardless. Um, I th- think there was, um, more Minetric in day two than I was expecting for sure. There was three Minetrics in day two that I'm aware of, and one of them made it into the top 24. Um, and also the only two Gyaradoses that I know in the entire tournament made it to cut. So use Gyarados, guys. So Gyarados got the 100% top cut rate. Yeah, the only two people that I know, I know Jamie Boy used it as well on an, another X-Ray team, though his his Gyarados was a supportive set with um, Icy Wind, Thunder Wave, and Roar, whereas mine was the Mega Dragon Dance variant. What was also interesting is that you were both on X-Ray teams, which, you know, obviously makes sense because you needed that water type on there. But it was really cool how, you know, similar your teams were and very different all the same. Yeah, I think that's one of the best things about using Rayquaza is that it can make a lot of niche Pokemon like Suicune or Azumarill more viable. And there was also another X-Ray team I saw that I like. I believe it was Brianna Britz. Uh, I saw that on the last oh, round of day, day one. Yeah, she was running a team with Suicune, Aegislash, Rayquaza, and Xerneas, which was another team I had been testing independently um, when I was building my team before I decided on the Mega Gyarados. So I thought that was just nice to see. And I think in general, the Rayquaza archetypes were a little underexplored compared to a lot of other ones because Rayquaza is a bit harder to use this year than something like Salamence, which on, in a lot of ways just does all of the Rayquaza stuff better. It's got the same typing. It has Intimidate, it has a 120 base power spread move, it doesn't take up a restricted spot, so early in the year I was like, why use Rayquaza, you've got Salamence, but later on you learn to appreciate Airlock a lot more, and just the the coverage that Rayquaza gets, and the fact that it can hold an item, so, and Extreme Speed is a really good move to chip away at things like Thunderous or Xerneas after you do big damage to them. And ignoring redirection. Uh, I think, yeah, like you said, Rayquaza was just an underexplored Pokemon, and it's not too surprising when you think about it that it won Worlds, because 
having as much weather control on your team as possible with a format dominated by the primals is just so important and then you just further uh extend the power of your kyogre you make it so that it's much harder to stop those fully powered water moves or at least stop them uh from using their sun and then rayquaza just using that weather to its own advantage uh it's just huge having as much weather control as possible seems to be a strong strategy yeah in terms of in terms of weather control rayquaza is one of those megas you know apart from being the i think the only one who can uh mega evolve without a mega stone and hold its own item is that it is very good in both its non-mega and mega forms something like gyarados for example and not many other pokemon do that as well maybe gengar a little bit most other megas are you know either better as a mega or uh better as not being a mega pokemon what about blaziken steven blaziken is one of those i guess it's this almost, almost the same thing right it's just uh, it retains the same typing, same ability, and just gains some power boost. Well, Blaziken, I actually liked Blaziken using it in VGC 15, but normal Blaziken and Omega Blaziken kind of fill different roles. You'd normally run your Blazikens with um, a mixed special and physical attacking set with Overheat and Hidden Power Ice, whereas Mega Blazikens were almost always fully physical with Flare Blitz and then a Fighting-type attack and Rock Slide or some other coverage move. So even though both were kind of viable... They're both way different. I think this year, Mega Blazin Blaziken actually fills kind of a niche role that is similar to Rayquaza, as, even though that might sound crazy. Uh, what you can do with Blaziken is it actually gets the move Roleplay. And so if you have the Mega Stone, you can get your speed boost and then very quickly reset the weather if it's not looking ideal. And then you could Mega Evolve, regain the speed boost, and then reset the weather again with Roleplay. That's interesting. I never thought about that. I was looking at Blaziken at one point and for its ability to reset the weather, and it's just so silly because uh, it actually it's, it helps against Kangaskhan. It helps uh, marginally against things that like you need to hit with a fighting-type attack, like you can use superpower in the rain against like Ferrothorn. But mostly it's going to be resetting that weather and then launching off sun-boosted like fire moves next to a Groudon and ensuring that that sun stays up. Uh, so I thought that was kind of funny. Um, just on the topic of Megas that can work both non-Mega and Mega. Blaziken's a really weird one this year. Yeah, I can't say I've seen too many of them, but that does sound interesting. Well, get yeah, ready. that sounds interesting. <laughs> now that I've mentioned it, now that the word's out, it's going to spread like wildfire. See that all over uh, the, the online. Yeah, we'll see. But on the topic of fire and fighting types, Infernape also made it into the top cut, which is probably the least expected Pokemon in the top cut. Manectric's up there. And so is Volcarona, but those are some of the Pokemon that we've seen the least this year, I would say. Is, Gyarados um, as well. Volcarona and Infernape in the top eight. Oh, yeah, Gyarados only made it to top... Um, Jamie Boy made top six. Sorry, I don't mean to shut down your Gyarados, Dane. Oh, it's not my Gyarados. It's There's two Gyaradoses. I was shocked at that <laughs> there one. There are two Gyarados. I was shocked. But anyways, what do you guys think of those three Pokemon specifically? I think we already talked about Manectric a bit, but Volcarona and Infernape are two interesting ones. Yeah, I'm not, I didn't see the Volcarona use it all. I guess it was a supporting variant with um, Whirlwind and Rage Powder. I can't remember the other two moves, but it was a supportive set on an X-Ray team. Um, and then the Infernape, I guess that's kind of similar to Raichu. It can stop Thunderous' Thunder Waves with Quick Guard, and it's a fast fake-out user that also threatens Kangaskhan. Because I think that if you're running a fake-out user with Xerneas, you need to think of the how does this fake-out user match up against Kangaskhan? Because you don't want to get in the situation where you trade fake-outs, and then your Pokemon does... It either lets your the Kangaskhan get a big damage off on the Xerneas, or it will KO the Kangaskhan, but only after it gets the attack off. So you don't want to run into that situation where the damage output trade when you're both Geomancying is in their favor, because it just sets you back so far. So you need something like Infernape that's fast and can deal a lot of damage to Kangaskhan, or you need something like Raichu where you can Encore them into it, or even Hitmontop with just Intimidate to bring down the power of that Kangaskhan and then support with Wide Guard. Well, Alex, didn't you use Infernape on that team? Yes, What else yes, did you I use Infernape, Infernape for? quite a bit. Uh, I used Infernape very specifically for that role because it supports Kyogre Xerneas very well. I don't know how much Infernape could fit on another team, I believe we saw Ashton Cox use it at some point in a regional with a different moveset. But, uh, I yeah, I used it just because Quick Guard is so great for, like, Brave Birds and Taunts and Thunder Waves. And then 
a fast fake out like that and then overheat overheat is such a fun move because like with a focus sash and the blaze ability uh you can get off a blaze boosted overheat and sometimes when you're against groudon it's typically in the sun and you can do over 50 percent to groudon with a fire move yeah those blaze overheats really pack a punch i know when i played justin karras he got a blaze overheat off on my geomancy xerneas and I, it did around 50 percent to xerneas at plus two so that's just so much damage from a support Pokemon, really. So it's it's definitely a nice option to have that you wouldn't... When you see Infernape at first, you don't think of that because normally you're not taking advantage of the Blaze ability when the, with those fire starters, but Infernape really makes good use of it. In terms of uh, other Pokemon in the top cut and really in just day two, I'm just looking through the teams here and there are a lot of Mega Gengar and, you know... I have mixed feelings on that. Well, not mixed feelings. You know, I'm just I'm just sad I stopped playing with it because I used it during the beginning of the season, and then it ended up winning worlds. And you know, I love Mega Gengar and wish I'd stuck with it. I'm right there with you, Steven. I gave up on Kyogre, and there we are. We're just both sitting here wondering why we made the wrong call. Yeah. Yeah, I think Mega Gengar is just a really high skill cap Pokemon because it, it takes away your opponent's options. So anytime you have more options than your opponent, I think you're in a pretty good position. So when you're a superior player and you can think of five moves down the line, like someone like Wolf Glick and you're using a Mega Gengar, then it's just it's such an advantage because they can't switch out. So they only have a few options, whereas you could switch out your Gengar, you can switch out either of your Pokemon. And it just, if you can lead properly with it and don't just let it go down easily, it can just control a game so much. Yeah, and with the amount of fake out he had on that team, he really just kept that thing around and just constantly kept his opponents from even getting off attacks or getting off the moves that he wanted to just because of the shadow tag ability trapping them in and limiting their moves. Yeah, and then f trapping in Groudons with the wrong weather or trapping in Kangaskhans that have been intimidated twice because of the eject button hit my top that's just really good a really good ability to have yeah then it can just to add in injury insult to injury uh just burn them and then just let it sit there it's not going to do anything to you anymore so you're really playing a two-on-one the rest of the game for sure so that's a bunch of stuff about worlds you know some interesting pokemon teams um, just, you know, a quick breakdown of the top cut. Um, you know, obviously you can look up all the results online and all their teams are up there with movesets and other good stuff. Uh, team reports are still coming in, but world is over now and we're about to head into the 2017 season. But before we get to the 2017 format in Sun and Moon, we have to endure, I think is the correct word here, the 2016 <laughs> format the rest of the fall. Oh, definitely. So I kind of wanted to ask you guys, what are your plans in terms of the 2016 format, you know, from September to December? Well, I know me personally, I'm going to probably bounce between um, first taking a break from Pokemon. I haven't played since Worlds, and I probably won't play for at least another week for sure, maybe two weeks. Um, but I'll probably bounce between using my Worlds team and using some of my, like, pet project teams that I thought could be good, but I didn't think they... I didn't want to put my resources into it because once I qualified for Worlds, every team that I was building and trying, I thought I wanted to use something that I thought could win Worlds. Whereas now I can just kind of mess around at PCs, maybe bring Chansey again. Just <laughs> have fun, but still try to win, but try to explore some of the unexplored areas of the meta while it's kind of you have the ability to. And who knows, maybe I'll stumble upon a good team. Did you bring Chansey to an event before? I did bring Chansey to a single PC. I was running a Seismic Toss, Helping Hand, Soft Boiled, and Thunder Wave set. And I was able to get second place at that PC. And I just I just liked using Chansey because it's hilarious to see people moonblast it and not to not to it KO it. And then eat a Thunder Wave. And it just has some ridiculous special bulk. Like Origin Pulse is a five hit KO in rain. It's just, it's so silly sometimes. It has really bad matchups like Power Up Punch Kang or Sword Stance Groudon. So it's obviously, there's a reason people aren't using Chansey, but I think it's just, sometimes it's good when you don't really have to win a PC that you can just go there and have fun with your friends, try out some interesting stuff. Yeah, that's Chansey for you, and that's why the timer exists. Yeah, that's why you can't run Minimize. Well, now that you mentioned Chansey and at the local PCs, I'll have to counter it because I'll be at those PCs with you, Dane, and I'm sorry, but I'm not going to let Chansey take first. <laughs> oh, you better not. 
I've got some, uh, I'm in a similar spot to you. I haven't really played much Pokemon since, but I've definitely thought about it. Uh, I've got a couple of ideas, like teams that I scrapped for worlds that I would like to at least try using, and some other ideas that I've gotten since worlds that I also want to explore uh, just a little bit before the format ends, because uh, we won't have to play it again, and uh, I can't say I'll miss it much, but... I do want to just get those last ideas out and tried before, maybe at a real event, just for fun. Try to make this season a little bit better than it actually was. Yeah, and who knows when we'll get to use Pokemon like Rayquaza again. I really like Rayquaza, so even though I don't know if it's the best thing to have in the metagame, I do enjoy that I get to use a Pokemon that I like like that. So who knows how much longer you'll get to use those guys. So I'll like to, like to send them out on a good note. Yeah, I've always been in that camp of uh, the restricted Pokemon are special... And, you know, some of the outsiders don't really understand that, you know, we don't use these, you know, uh, restricted legendaries every year. But they're legends are OP, once... Steven. Uh... I know, I know. They're, they're a once-in-a-while thing, and it's, you know, a special time to use them. It's it's fun. They're great. In some years, you would have some of the newer players not even know, like, what does a Xerneas do? Because you play, when you're playing 2015 and 2014... With X and Y, you're just you never see someone uses Xerneas. You might not even know what Geomancy does if you don't play singles, Ubers, or some format that allows them. So it's kind of I think it's nice for the exposure. It may not have been the best to play at all times, but I think it's 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 fun to have those super powerful Pokemon around. And I as much as I I kind of had a love hate relationship with the format where when you're doing well, I really like doing cool doing good with those cool Pokemon. But then when they do too good against you. You're like, oh, Xerneas is so broken. This is not fair that they get to KO everything on my team with Dazzling Gleam before I do anything. So yeah. it's kind of a mixed bag. But yeah, there are you know, a bunch of different uh, options people are taking in terms of the fall portion of the season. And in my opinion, I always felt the, that fall, um, using the old format, you know, after Worlds has ended, was always kind of a joke to me. Um, I still don't like it. Other than grinding tournaments for championship points for for the season, you know, it always felt uh, silly to me. But yeah, in in terms of my own plans, like I don't, I'm not really expecting to play much at all. Period in a tournament until January. Like honestly, for once, uh, you know, Battle Spot's gone. That was my main practice um, place. Uh, I'm not a showdown person. Like I still. I tried it a bit um, over the summer to prepare for Worlds. Just wasn't my thing. Um, you know, since Battle Spot's gone for the uh, special ladder, and, you know, I I still think Fall is a joke, um, you guys probably won't see me for a while. More points for us Don't than worry, I guys. guess. I will drag Steven to some tournaments, so you will see Steven in January. The tournaments. No, I'm going to drag you to some of these Fall He'll events, be a spectator. Cause... Yeah, yeah, you can do. I'll be a spectator. You can work on your. Commentary. I can join commentary. <laughs> you can. We can money match. We can money match at Dance Dance Revolution. That sounds All right. like a fair format. Oh yeah, no moody boosts <laughs> in Dance Dance Revolution. Can we get booty boosts? <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, I think that's about it for this time. All right, thank thanks for having me on the show, guys. It was really a lot of fun to talk about this. So that's that's the end of our show. You know, I just want to thank Dane for being on. Dane, if people wanted to follow you, say on Twitter, where can people do that? On Twitter, my username is Dane, capital Z, underscore A-O-J. That's A as in Adam, O as in Orange, J as in Jared. Perfect. And thank you so much for being on. Again, you guys can find Dane's team report on Nugget Bridge of his Top 24 finish at the World Championships. Top 17. Um, just top 17. Yes, top 17. Look, up his, look at his team. You can find his report. Um, he mentioned the title earlier in the show. Uh, you guys can search for that, and it'll pop up. Um, Alex, you're also on Twitter. Where can people find you? At LexiconVGC. Very nice name. And, you know, guys, Alex has been on all the shows so far, and just wanted to thank him for uh, being a part of this. Of course, always Steven. And my Twitter is Super Morioka. You know, all these will be all these will be linked uh, somewhere. But you'll be able to find those. And for any of our listeners, if you could please, you know, send us some feedback, whether it's um, 
constructive or just like telling us you like this kind of stuff because we don't know if we're doing anything useful for people and I kind of want to know that moving forward. So um, if you're a listener, you know, we'd appreciate some feedback and it can, it can even be like something simple like nice job or just tell us something you didn't like about our show and that we could improve on. So yeah, just let us be great. know, ask us questions, anything like that. We would love to hear from you. We want to make sure that this is useful and we want to improve as much as we can. So please just leave any feedback at all. We would really appreciate it. Oh yeah, and the questions. Thank you for reminding me about that. If you guys could leave us questions for the next show, we'll add, answer you as best we can. You know, that'd be cool too. You know, give us some more stuff to talk about. You know, sometimes um, coming up with uh, ideas for shows is kind of difficult. But that's it for us. Thank you for listening to the Hyper Voice for Alex and Dane. Um, guys, say goodbye, and thank you guys for listening. See you guys later. See you guys later. Thanks again, Alex and Steven, for having me on here.